0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark.
1: Glory to you, Lord Christ.
0: On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise
1: Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Earlier this week, after my first reading of the Gospel we just heard, I found myself writing down my own boat crisis story. A story dug up from my childhood memories about a whitewater canoe crash with my dad. Thirteen-year-old me and dad were surprised by some unexpected rapids on the Pemi River, and we were caught off guard by a felled tree, which we hit sideways. I went under, and dad panicked, and when I surfaced and saw the look on his face, I realized How much his care for my well being and safety was tied up with the depth of his love and care for me. Perhaps someday I will tell you the whole story in more detail. It is a story about how the depth of human love and concern can sometimes show us a glimmer of the depth of God's love and concern for us. It is a story in which I am a disciple on that boat with Jesus in the storm, and I am confident that Jesus will wake up and calm the storm, and all shall be well, because we are deeply loved by a reliable and protective God. But on Thursday, as I wrote my canoe crash story down, news from South Carolina reached me, and suddenly I knew that nine people were dead that racist violence had struck yet again, and I was at a complete loss. I shifted from being the confidence disciple and became, at least for the time being, the very angry disciple, yelling, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I want to address what happened Wednesday night in South Carolina here with you, while we, like the parishioners of Emanuel Church in Charleston, gather together in prayer. I know anything I say will be imperfect and incomplete, and inevitably I will speak through the lens and voice of a white woman who has not known herself ever to be the target of hatred or violence because of the color of my skin, and who feels a little helpless right now. Sometimes our helplessness in the face of violence makes us not want to talk about it. Sometimes our shame, if we are a member of the oppressing race, makes us not want to speak at all. But we must speak, or our silence will leave us complicit in the racism that has yet again broken our hearts this week. Before difficult things are spoken, it is always a good idea to pray. Will you join me in a moment of silence for those who have died and their families and for the opening of our hearts in the face of all of this? God, be in our hearts and in our minds and in our actions and guide us, strengthen us, and give us the courage to bring about your kingdom here on earth so that people will no longer hate or attack or kill or be indifferent towards one another. Comfort the hearts of the bereaved. Open our hearts to the reality that we all are bereaved. Make us instruments of your peace, your justice, your kingdom. In the name of the one who came to bring your kingdom to us and who works through us to do that. Your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As I sit here this morning listening to our readings in our communal voices, The thing that strikes me most with each thing that we've heard this morning is that there is a reason that oppressed groups are so versed in their scripture. Everything we heard was about God being present for those who suffer and those who are oppressed. That small, young David had victory over Goliath. We sang that psalm. I'm so glad we sang it and we heard the words, The Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed. And then this list of things that the apostles went through when they were oppressed and trying to bring God's love around the world. And then Jesus in a boat calming the storm. And I'm mainly just going to talk about that, the gospel. But I want to hold all of the other stories in mind. And these are stories written on the hearts of people who are oppressed. They know it by heart. And maybe you all have memorized a good deal of scripture, but I haven't. Um, And it's just something to keep in mind, the ways in which different communities hold scripture. One day early in his ministry, Jesus spoke to a large crowd. He mainly spoke in parables about the kingdom of God. And then, in exhaustion, he convinced his disciples to get in a boat and sail to the other shore a few miles away, at night, in the dark. Not such a safe endeavor. But his were obedient disciples, and perhaps they, like him, needed some space from the crowds. In the darkness of night, a storm overtook them. And as the water washed over their boat, they were terrified. Meanwhile... Jesus slept on a cushion in the stern. I have so many questions about this moment. Was Jesus supposed to be steering the boat? Was he, as rabbi, just leaving that boat stuff to the fishermen? Was this an all-hands-on-deck moment? And he was the lazy schmuck on the cushion letting everyone else do the work. Were the disciples starting to get a hint of who he actually was? Were they regretting their choice to follow him in the storm that night? We don't know. We do know that no one seems to have named him as the Messiah until a few chapters later. So they probably just thought of him as their leader. But even the most mediocre of leaders doesn't sleep through crisis. And so I am completely with the disciples when they yell over the wind and the rain and the crashing waves, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I have often felt like when we suffer, God is with us, not to take our suffering away, but to accompany us through our suffering. These past few days, that has not felt like enough. I have heard myself thinking, come on, God, are you sleeping through this? Powerful waves of racism and violence have raged and washed over our boat for years. And now, just because black people and white people have the same basic rights on paper, we have tricked ourselves into believing that the storm is past, and that little nap on a cushion has allowed insidious racism to continue. The Confederate flag still flies on the grounds of the Capitol in South Carolina, not at half-mast, like the American flags, but at full height, even though there have been protests and petitions and lots of noise about getting it down. It's still there. And we in the North might scoff at the racism in post-Civil War South. But we can't pretend that the storm isn't raging up here, too. It rages on. So why have I been asleep on a cushion? And why does Jesus seem to be asleep, too? I desperately want to stand up. I want Jesus to stand up and say to the storm of racism and hatred, peace. Be still, and I want it all to disappear, but i got to tell you, his calming of the storm in today's story feels a bit Pollyannic to me this week. And when he turns to us and says, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? I kind of want to scream. In her blog post Thursday, AME minister Jennifer Bailey spoke of her rage She said, nine people are dead today, and I am angry. I have no doubt that the anger I feel is righteous. My God is one who stands on the side of those who are marginalized and oppressed. My God is not docile and is big enough to hold my anger, frustration, and questions. As a black woman, Jennifer Bailey knows something that too many of us either do not know or pretend not to know. She knows that, in this case, the rage of that storm of racism does rage on. I have a hunch that she also knows that God can handle it if today's gospel and the idea that Jesus sleeps on a cushion while we fight the storm is completely maddening and perhaps challenging to our faith. Now, we don't know if Jesus is actually sleeping. Deep down, I doubt he is. We don't know if he's getting ready to stand up and roll up his sleeves and calm this storm. Whether we, too, are asleep or wringing our hands or pulling in the sails with all our might or bailing the water back out of the boat with every bit of energy we have, we know deep down that there is work to be done. And if Jesus could have done it alone... I don't think he ever would have called those disciples to leave their nets and work with him. I don't think he chose to work alone. And because he didn't choose to work alone, he's called us to the baptismal waters and to live lives of prayer and attention and sacredness together here. He's called us to take great risks to bring about the the kingdom of God everywhere I think that's what he's done and so here we are we start with prayer we speak hard truths we come face to face with the storm as it manifests itself in our inner lives and social behaviors and then we reach out and offer whatever bit of the kingdom we can to a world that desperately needs it in today's epistle Paul recounts what the first apostles suffered as they went about the work of spreading God's love. It strikes me that they encountered what every other oppressed group has encountered through the ages. Affliction, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. And Paul says that they met these challenges with the very things Jesus called them to embody. Purity, knowledge, patience. Kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. The very things that came to my mind when I read the biographical statements about the nine people who died in prayer Wednesday night. I think the kingdom of God comes into its reign when someone else's affliction, calamity, Beating, imprisonment, massacre, or hunger becomes ours because we choose to join them and we let them teach us how to face it together with purity, knowledge, patience, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. We are one body. Together we are the hands, the feet, the eyes, ears, heart, and voice, the very body of a Christ who stands up in the boat and calms the storm. Whether we are confident of his presence or not, he is here. And when we are less than confident, it becomes our turn to make some noise and wake him up. And because he resides in us, that noise wakes us up too. And then, fully awake and accompanied by a God who indeed does care, we are able to live into the work that we are called to do. By the grace of God, may we do that work. Amen.